Jim Leonard of Kremlin Bats. Bat Creeps, Al Morant from the Pits, Ben Katzman's Degreaser, Golden Retriever, Space Bums, Private Plane, Candy Miami. He did a show with the Cavemen at the Great Scott on July, no, wait, it was June 16th, I think, 2017. And there's probably some other bands I can't remember, but I don't know, what else is there? What other bands am I leaving out, Jim? Yeah, that's pretty comprehensive. Uh, I was in a band called O Ambulance. Uh, I'm trying to think. Pretty Headdress, Bad Head. Uh, okay, shit, I don't know any of those bands. Damn. I feel, I feel, uh, I failed. Wait, what was the last one? Custodian. Uh, Custodian Damn. played one show at Grandma's house. Oh, shit. Uh, on Halloween one year with, uh, Ursula. Some other bands. Oh, wow. no, I was at that show. Yeah. I mean, that was a very comprehensive list. I mean, you. I remember it. That was like when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, 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 did, I did my homework. Uh, you were in Steep Link to Moo Tower for a little bit, too, right? Yep. Yep. All right. Drums in both of those bands. Awesome. Cool. Hey, man. How you doing? What have you been up to? Uh, hopefully, you're holding up. Well, and all right, during all this shit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wild. Uh, I don't know, what are we, like two and a half months deep now? So I've just been hanging out with home. You know, getting domestic, like cooking a lot, and I don't even know, exercising more, trying to stay sane, really, you know. Does it feel weird to not do any, do too much related to music? Or rather showcasing your music to in the public realm yeah i mean it definitely was terrible um because i love live music but i mean the kind of silver lining for that is uh like i really just enjoy writing and recording music and in a lot of ways playing live can be a hindrance to that you know like where you got to keep a band practiced and you ready to play shows every weekend, so it's been kind of nice to have a little break and work on music at home, you know? That's good, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like even, uh, for me, not so much like recording here, writing stuff, it, it, it's... I don't know, I guess like a silver lining as well, is that this is like one of the better times, if not, I mean, obviously like the best time at this point to be in this kind of situation, because there's so much music out there that I've been honestly probably listening to more music than I ever have in my life just because it's something to do and, you know, I've just discovered so much stuff I would never have, or maybe I wouldn't never have, but I've discovered a lot of stuff in this time, you know, in this last couple months that it's just given me so much more time that I feel like, like since I don't have to be out and, you know, at this kind of scheduled event or something, I have to do this thing or that or whatever, I just, just kind of like chill. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right, there, right there with you. What kind of stuff you've been digging into? I just bought a seven inch called um, "Fuck Me Forever" and it's by Connie Lingus. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the exact thing I thought you would have said. Yeah, of course you did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's like a really a nice um, like pop song. It's like really song really um, sweet and everything but all the lyrics are very very dirty it's from like the 60s or 70s or something I've been getting into uh, doo-wop and especially explicit doo 
up like all of these groups would uh yeah. they'd like you know record it's the takes. exactly yeah there's uh i forget the name of the group but there's this they did like don't mess around with love but then they did another take that was like don't fuck around with love um i forget the name of the group but they released like some label released it later in the 70s the don't fuck around with love one but there's a bunch of shit like that that i've just been getting into more and more that i don't know some some of it's more like novelty and then other stuff's more uh you know a little bit more genuine i guess or not or, or whatever but anyway it sounds awesome just like the juxtaposition um and the sound and the, the lyrics but yeah you've been getting anything good lately listening to anything new or um, re- yeah discovering stuff yeah, I mean, in my personal time, like, honestly, I listen to a lot of hip-hop, um, <laughs> which I, I don't know if people would think that's weird or not, because knowing my music, but... Nah, I mean, I'm a, yeah, I'm like a massive hip-hop head, uh, so I, I've just been digging into, like, a lot of Southern stuff that I haven't really, like, got too deep into until recently, and uh, I've been listening to a lot of electronic music stuff like that yeah is the hip-hop newer or older or like what 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 time frame kind of like my bread and butter stuff is like 90s uh because that's what i grew up on um i had like a friend who had an older brother who was into like master p and stuff like that in the mid-90s and uh he had like a subwoofer in the back of his minivan and he used to drive us to high school and i kind of got into uh like Master P and uh, all that Southern shit. So I, I, that's like what I always go back to, but I definitely have been like digging in and finding other weird records while I'm home alone. Same deal. It's like, you know, just listen to music all day so much more so than I live when I'm at work. Um, I've been listening to that guy Peter Ivers a lot. Um, trying to think, like, really all over the map. Uh, this like electronic group from Berlin called the Rat Grave. Uh, all kinds of stuff. I found this African dude recently called Sandy Beat, and I don't really know anything about him, but I've just been jamming the records. So yeah, all all over the map, you know. How are you consuming? Are you are you a Spotify guy? Uh yeah, I mean definitely on Spotify just because of how easy it is right one one real bummer is like usually on weekends i'll try to go out to record stores and just dig and find weird stuff but that's just not really possible anymore and i've never been really like big discogs guy or buying records online so that's been kind of a bummer because i really enjoy doing that on weekend days you know it's a good experience yeah me yeah, and we go out you know oh yeah so okay so Speaking of Almorants and uh, growing up and shit, you grew up in Swampscott, right? Yep, Swampscott, Massachusetts. Cool. Hell yeah. All right, man. So, North Shore. Cool. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, like, uh, I wanted to ask you before, like, you mentioned getting into hip-hop and stuff, or, you know, that was, like, your bread and butter. Like, what kind of stuff did you listen to as a kid? Oh, man. When I was... A kid, so like, I guess getting into music, my father was a musician and uh, my uncle was a musician, and my dad played in kind of, kind of like power pop 
in the 80s. Um, he was in a band called The Cads. I still have their cassette somewhere. He was a bass player. Um, so growing up, uh, he had his jazz bass, which I, I play now. I actually inherited from him. And um, he, yeah, he, uh, he was always playing guitar around the house, and that's what got me into it, like, at a very, very young age, just because I thought it looked cool, like, even when I was, you know, like, five or six, and I would pick it up and stuff. Mm. Um, and, like, uh, my parents, for some reason, like, didn't want to get me a guitar, and then what really got me into music was I started playing cello in the third grade, because they offered it to the kids, and I was like, I want to play an instrument. I don't know why they never got me a real guitar. But I played the cello for maybe a year or two, and then I started putting it up on my knee and trying to play it like a bass, and then my parents were finally just like, fuck it, we need to buy the guitar. <laughs> they were tired of renting the cello, you know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> shit. No, I mean, that, that makes sense, though. Uh, so what was, like, the first band you played in? Like, what, what I age? Oh, man, I wish I still had these recordings, but I, I actually started a band when I was in third grade uh, with my best friend, Greg, who ended up being kind of like a football guy. Um, but at the time, we were, we're so young, we were just fucking around, you know? So I had, yeah, yeah, totally. I had a boombox with a built-in microphone, and I had a little practice amp, and we had a keyboard, like one of those shitty Radio Shack keyboards that had drums on it. Yeah. So I convinced him to like play the drums on the little keyboard, and we would record into a uh, boombox and single microphone, and we were called Speed Limit One Thousand and One. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck that came from, but um, it was so funny because what, <laughs> what I ended up doing was we made like a five-song cassette tape or something, and I dumped them all in third grade. And then uh, I hand-drew all the covers with this little logo that we made. And then the way I distributed it was I made all the dubs, and I rode my bike around the neighborhood and put it in people's mailboxes. <laughs> it was awesome, yeah. I love you it. You were ahead of the game. With yeah, that's crazy. The cassette revolution, DIY. <laughs> well, I guess at that point, it was just cassettes were still like, popular. But, yeah, it's, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, like, and I just, it's so crazy, I just gave them out like that, and I don't have a copy of it anymore. Ah, shit. Like, I, I know they're, that, like, I, <laughs> I could find them, like, contact my neighbors, but, you know, they probably just fucking were like, what is this, and just threw <laughs> it out. It's like, just playing a 12-bar blues and just uh, some keyboard drums, you know? Oh, I'd love to hear yeah. that. Yeah, I know, same. I'd love to. Oh, man, we have, uh... Luckily, like, on, like, the Bufu tape that Glenn put, uh, he has, like, some of his rap recordings from when he was, like, 14. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, yeah. Hopefully, one day, we can... <laughs> we can uh, find those recordings. Uh, so, that must have been, like, 96, 97 or so, like, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, right around there. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, what was, like... Uh, so, you started playing music and... Sh- and like uh, you mentioned Al before like when did you start getting into say like playing bands that you'd go out and play a show or like when was your first show yeah um yeah so I guess uh let me think about Al so yeah like uh early high school maybe 
maybe eighth grade, I got a little more serious about playing guitar and um, ended up meeting some people, like, just in high school. And I played in a band called Big Wednesday, and it was just kind of like a pop-punk band, you know, it was like, what was popular at the time, I guess this would have been, sure, 
I'm gonna say I'm like I'm like jealous because I feel like for us it was kind of like a turn off of like not not that way you were doing, but rather like stuff that was around our town where it seemed to be more kind of I don't know it was like wasn't as in, as like exciting. So I don't know. I think that's that's just really cool that that they in was it just like around you said you mentioned Gloucester or whatever. So it seems like it was just general like a North Shore scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's different for every town and yeah. every kid's experience. You know, I was just like really fortunate to like meet the people that I did when I did and get exposed to the music that I was listening to back then when I did because it really did kind of bust open the doors. And be like, holy shit! Like, um, you can do whatever the hell you want, and like, people are gonna be there and feel the same way almost I don't know like just um I don't know until that time I didn't really feel like people were into the same kind of shit I was into or I don't really know how to describe it but it was like really fulfilling to go out and like be able to do whatever we wanted to do and have people react to it and it was great and like it wasn't just hardcore bands either there was one so there was one like really big band, I guess, in, in terms of being like a high school band called Daniel Stripe Tiger. And um, they're from Danvers. Uh, the bass player, Sean, actually now is the bass player in Arcade Courts. You know that band? Oh, wow. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, one of the kids, John, I actually worked with or had worked with in the past recently. Like, I'm still friends with them all. Uh, so they were doing their whole thing, and then uh, there was a kid in the band named Steve who ended up quitting that band and started doing like noise performances at these shows that we would play. And at that time, like I wasn't listening to noise music, you know. So um, he was really influenced by like, Wolf Eyes and shit like that. And you know, being 14, 15 year old kid and getting into that kind of shit, it just op- opened my eyes up to like. The artistic possibilities of music, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, no, definitely. Well, I, honestly, yeah, I think that like it's kind of funny that yeah, it's like you, I, I think that stuff is, is really is so important too. Like you know what I mean? Especially to experience it on like a ground level kind of thing. Like I think uh, you know, for I don't know, I can only speak for me. I, I think like when we started getting into like the music, the local music scene for us, like we hadn't had that really like ex- experience at a younger age so we didn't yeah. have as much of an exposure and I think a lot of people sometimes sort of like assumed that we had so like uh, you know a lot of times when you when you you know it's like you almost uh, you don't hear everything you know that kind of stuff like you said like noise music or whatever at like that younger of an age so like some people assume when you're like like we're getting into the local stuff around 21, 22 and then I think I don't know, it was just kind of like, when you get that at that age, people would think that you'd already, like, experienced some of this stuff, and we're either, like, blown away by one thing, or, like, turned off by something else, and then, I don't know, at a certain point, there's certain stuff, I'm like, oh, wait, actually, no, I kind of like this, or I like this thing, or I don't like this, you know what I mean, it, you know, um, it's not even so much like an age, per se, necessarily, it's just, you, you, the amount of, like, experience you've had sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it, it's totally just, like, 
Oh yeah, regardless of the age, I think like if anyone yeah. discovers noise music and like you know and a DIY show, you're just like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like the first time you you see something like that, and um, yeah, I guess I was just you know fortunate enough to come up in a community that respected that kind of thing at such a young age, and yeah, uh, like at the time it seemed like totally novel, and I was just like, wow. Like, is anyone else doing this stuff in the United States? And like, you get a thing too. Like, this is like pre-internet, and a lot of years. Sure. Like, like MySpace was around, but I think that might have been it. So, like, it's just crazy to me sometimes to think about how different discovering music was back then to how it oh, yeah. is now. Because now everybody has everything at their fingertips. They can hear it all. But um, back then, it was like. Literally, like, you just find out about the show from a friend and go there and you meet people that you didn't see on the internet. And, like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just changed so much. And I don't know if it's better or worse. But yeah, I think it's, you know, because I definitely, I thought about this a lot myself. Uh, I'm sure Glenn has as, as well. I think, I think it's, it's good and bad, you know. Um, yeah. I think that fundamentally, um, we were talking about this with Noah Rod, uh, not Noah Rod, Noah Britton. Uh, Noah Britton was saying, too, that, like, you know, you still always, like, more or less, the word of mouth is really, you know, unless you have, like, some other big way someone's promoting someone, an artist or whatever, it's word of mouth is really the, the way that people are going to hear about it, you know, um, a, a show or a band or whatever. And I still think that even when, yeah, I mean, Absolutely, like, you know what I mean? I think that's still, like, fundamentally the, the biggest thing, you know. Um, were there... Yeah, with local music. Yeah. yeah. Jim, were, was, were there any touring bands that came through the North Shore? Uh, or was it mainly a local local bands playing with each other kind of thing? Yeah, you know, um, the stuff I remember were, like, national bands that would come through and play because... We'd be playing like church basements and um, historical societies and friends' parents' basements and teen centers and shit like that. So um, there would I would go into Boston and I'd see touring acts and shit like that. But there were smaller bands that had a bigger impact on me at that time that would come from like Western Mass, you know, and oh, cool. um, Providence and stuff like that. Like I remember. There was one band called La Me Vida Violenta, and they were like a UMass band, and um, they they had like a twelve piece band uh, with two drummers that would play face to face, and it all were black when they played, and it was uh, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe them really. It was uh, they were kind of almost like Discord style, like late era Discord, where it was like dancey. Almost like the band Black Eyes or Q and Not You or something like that. But um, yeah, like that band would come out and play a lot, and everyone would love it. Um, we played with like USA is a Monster from Providence once. I remember it came up. Um, but you know, they were never like huge bands. It was just like people in the DIY community that were touring through that needed a show. Yep. Maybe it was just like some hardcore band or something like that. No one big really. You know? mm-hmm. Gotcha. I was gonna ask you, um, did you ever see like, Colleen Green?
too, because like I've talked to Colleen about this, but um, I found her band on MySpace in high school. Oh, wow. Because all of my friends went to Bishop Fenwick High School. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. The, the Catholic school in Peabody. And, yeah. Um, somehow I found out about Ben, and I was like, oh, they're called Fenwick. They must be Fenwick. And, like, I listened to it <laughs> and then, you know, I, I talked to Colleen about it, like, after it's that. But, um, yeah, no, I never, like, had any interactions with Ben or anything like that. I just, uh, found them on MySpace and thought it was funny. I thought they were from my friend's high school. That's funny. It's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we didn't meet her until like 2011 where she was like back in Boston for like six months or something, but she had already gone out to California and uh, it was actually like one of the first house shows we went to that was then like we didn't even know who she was. We just sort of like talked to her and then we later found out she was playing the show um, and then we found out she was it also been from like Massachusetts and everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I know, you know, I know she was playing in that kind of stuff or that kind of music or around that time, so I wasn't sure. What house was the show at? That show? Yeah. Uh, it was at the Star Lab. Um, we went to the show to see, it was actually like our first like Boston kind of like DIY underground show. Like I, we had been to some stuff in Lowell. Um, but, uh, it was Star Lab, the White Wires from Ottawa, um, Allie Hanlon for Peach Kelly Pop, uh, she played drums in that band, and that's who we came to see, like, we actually, this is kind of funny, is that we were so, like, like, the house show concept is so foreign to us that we almost, we were just running around Union Square looking for the Star Lab, because we thought it was an actual <laughs> venue. And we couldn't find it. And we were about ready to give up and we saw some kids like smoking cigarettes and you know, like drinking or whatever and we kinda of, like went in that direction. We were asked like, Oh, excuse me, do you know what Star Lab is? And they kinda of pointed. It's kinda of funny too that like in general they can do Yeah, well, I mean that exactly. But even especially the Star Lab was like like harder to find. But like yeah, yeah we were about ready to like be like ah, it's like not we can't find it or whatever, but it yeah. Although that is one thing that I will say is kind of still the same, right? It's like, uh, I could totally imagine kids that age doing that now and being like, I know there's a show in this neighborhood, just look yeah. for the kids who will know where it is, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like that word mouth thing again. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, so actually, yeah, I mean, I was just a star lab in Somerville, um, I was going to say more, like, so you're talking about, like, a lot of the stuff on the North Shore, like, were you also going to shows in Boston and, like, playing shows in Boston around that time? Oh, man. Not as a teenager. Um, yeah, I really didn't. It was weird. I actually, when I entered college, I moved to Maine. So, like, in high school, I never came to Boston and played shows. Um, and then I went to college in Maine kind of got involved in the music scene there, uh, kind of based around the strange name, Record Shop on Comedy. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think it was still there. Yeah, I was there, uh, I went there about like a year ago or so, um, like one of the members of Video Nasties. Yeah, there. yeah, Brendan. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, I did that for a year, and then, uh, 
I transferred back to MassArt, and I was living in Hope Square, Brighton, with uh, three of my friends in a, in a Hope Square. But it was so funny because I lived in Brighton at that time for two years, maybe, and I never got involved in DIY music. We were like making music in the apartment all the time, but we never went to shows. Uh, and I look back and I'm like, why didn't we do that? <laughs> there were shows going on then, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I say 2020, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff, definitely, like, when I, like, even when we were, like, knowing about shit, we were going to shows, and we like, wait, why didn't we go to this show? Like, we're looking back at, like, all the archives of shit, and we're like, uh, like I don't know. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think I was yeah. kind of wrapped up in school at that point, but then, uh, yeah. I started started playing shows around town uh, late late college. I was in a couple of bands, and we would play uh, houses, played a couple shows at colleges and Middle East, uh, Cantab Lounge, and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> kind of got back into playing in a band. I was just focused on schoolwork for a couple of years, you know. Took a little break. Yeah, so, so like what year? Or like what year time frame talking about? Uh, I guess so. I graduated high school in two thousand five. Uh, came back to Boston two thousand six. Started playing in bands again two thousand seven or eight, something like that. Mhm. That's cool. When did you hook up with the? Or was it? So the, if people don't know, Chris and I are from Wakefield, which is in the North Shore. Not that close to Swampscott, but I was wondering, well, actually, like, sort of close. It, it all depends on what you consider close. But I was going to say, your connection with uh, people from Wakefield, when did that emerge? Yeah, so uh, when I was in high school, I put in a band with Sam Spano. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to Bishop Fenwick High School, which is that Catholic school I was talking about, and that's how, that's initially how I made my connection to everyone in Wakefield, like, you know, a lot of Catholics in Wakefield send their kids to Bishop Fenwick, um, so, kids in that band, Daniel Strattiger that I was talking about, I think three of them went there or something, and, uh, my, my good friend Joe Beaton went there, that's how I met him, and, uh, a lot of my close friends, Joe, who plays drums in my band now, actually, um, I've collaborated with for years, but that was really my connection to Wakefield. I started hanging out with Joe and just meeting people, um, meeting people younger than me too. They were friends with their siblings and stuff like that, and just realizing they were into music. And then uh, I think, in terms of how music goes, uh, once that creeps not going, I ended up finding out about like all the kids that played in Moon Towers. Heard the first demo and I think booked their first Boston show with Fat Creeps and the Kids app. So, so that's kind of like how the whole Mayfield thing shook out. But yeah, I've been friends with all those kids, um, at least the older ones, were since I was in high school. Yeah, okay. cool. I'm curious, when was that uh, Fat Creeps, uh, Moon Tower, their bundle to joy or whatever at the time? What was that show? Yeah. It was actually before I was even in the band, uh, because my band at the time, Golden Retriever, also had right. that show. So it must have been 2011, I guess. 
the O'Briens. Um, where was that? Yeah. What's up? Yeah, the O'Briens. Oh, yeah. Oh, you guys came to, like, that was a great show. Yeah, you, yeah. you really played a mean horoscope, that show. The drumming. <laughs> well, I just yeah. remember booking that show, and it was so funny because, like, the way we got into playing in Boston is I literally would just Google bands in Boston. Because we were living on the North Shore at the time and not really involved, and I was just like googling like who who are the bands that I should be playing with, trying to find them. And that show that you guys came to was Steve Lean's Nice Guys Guilty Party. Oh no, right? we saw that one, but this was a different. That was a, I do remember you booking that. Show. This was a year earlier, actually. It was um, Fat History Month on Flow, Big Mess at that group. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that too. Man, that's a great bill too. That is yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's well, the that's like, the like, reason why we came. Uh, I'd say I knew that history month at the time. I knew the name Bad Creeps because you had played with um some of the Wakefield kids. And I just saw that. I think you, uh, or there was like the name was just in listings and stuff like that, or or like in I think they, there was a show in Louisville or something in 2011. Um, I missed yeah. it though, but um, but I remember going to see. We were like. Uh, you know, I've seen Big Mess a bunch of times and um, on Glow and, and was, I think at the time my favorite band was Bad History Month in Boston anyway and like I hadn't listened to Bad Creeps and I saw you guys and I think you were new um, like those one of your first shows I think with uh, drums and I remember just being like blown away um, by it but like it was it, you know I mean in like retrospect it's kind of funny that you say like a uh, you guys were on the North Shore and everything, but I think they're like hunting me for whatever reason. I think we just kind of assumed everyone like knew each other. <laughs> you know, like you know, what I mean, I don't know. No, we didn't feel differently. We, no, we didn't. I did. Those guys. I don't. I don't think I knew Dee Dee or uh, any of those people. Like, but we, I don't even know how we got on that bill. Honestly, like people just saw our names starting to pop up and they broke us on shows. And, I think, like, 2012, it was, like, we were playing shows every weekend. Um, yeah. Yeah. The good old days. We, we, we went to most of them. Definitely. I know, I know. I remember seeing you guys pop up at shows and uh, leather jackets and just being like, what is up with these kids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we kind of great friends with you over the years, but... Uh, I was just like, I love these kids are showing up with uh with your dad, Brian. I just thought that was so <laughs> sick and like I remember thinking like I wanna be friends with Brian's dad because he seems so just so sick that he would like come out with you guys, you know? Yeah, he, he definitely. Um Yeah. That that was a very very unique time because you guys back then, like, we were pretty old. <laughs> you know, like, 
they'd write something online and be like, you yeah, know, oh, great, you're writing about one of your favorite bands you discovered last week, like, so you get into something next month, and, like, you know, it was kind of, cause I, I think they were, like, weren't, they couldn't believe that we were, like, actually that into something, you know what I mean? That, that you know what I mean? That, that like, we, you know, it's like uh, the Minutemen, they say, like, he's, like, the history lesson part two, he says, you know, Mr. Narrator, this is Bob Dylan to me, kind of thing, where, you know, it, you know, it really was, you know, for some people, they may have just been their friends' fans, and they were like, oh, but yeah, I mean, so what? So-and-so has played forever, but for us, it was like, you know, it was really, it was our our music, you know, really was something that hit us. Um, you know, like, I like I loved Minor Threat and Black Flag, but that was just stuff in books, you know what I mean? And, I, like, I don't mean to dismiss that, because I loved the, that music, and it, it meant a lot to me, but but that was, like, I mean, if you told me DIY... When I was 16, 17, I was like, oh, that's just, you know, that's something that happened before, you know, I, I thought it was all over, you know, I didn't think that people were still doing that, which sounds ridiculous, but we just, like you were saying before, I mean, you kind of have to have that, you know, exposure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of all happened when we were like 21, 22, and we just, you know, of course, being the, and the, you know, at that time, we were just so into everything and it, I think it was just probably like it almost felt like too ridiculous to some people it was like yeah we were like yeah we're going to see this band over and over and over again because it's amazing like the idea of like one of your favorite bands being a band you could see every week like that's for sure you know what I mean that's ridiculous that was like amazing you know what I mean it's like I, you know and I mean you know anybody I mean? coming at you with those kind of attitudes like can go fuck off you know what I mean yeah seriously yeah. Any, any kid that's Yeah. And it was interesting too at that time because we were we were writing concert reviews. So most of our concert reviews were fat creeps because we just had seen you so so many times. So it's kind of it's, it's funny to think just if someone was really actually reading that at the time, they they'd be like, "Oh wow, damn. They really like that band." <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, well, it's like you said, you you were so pressed to, uh, you know, DIY music and shit like that, so it's understandable you got so hyped on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. It's, 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 I don't know if it, if it's as nerdy as it seems. It probably is, no, right? very nerdy, but <laughs> most, most music writers are nerds anyway. Right? Feels so weird. 
comes to music, it's like there were so many fucking shows that they kind of like they just bleed together in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know? So like when you brought up that one show earlier, I, I was really like, oh yeah, like, I remember that one. Like, but it like takes something for you to remember it, you know. Mm-hmm. As stupid as that sounds, as senile as that may be. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. If you go, all right. So we'll go either. Well, we 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 jump around a bit, but let's go sort of maybe in a middle period, which of course I'm bringing up the brief history of slime. Couldn't yeah. couldn't not just because. I mean, I don't know if people know, but our label released Jim's amazing brief history of slime record which was just sitting up on your band camp for a while right just kind of yeah just kind of chilling and yeah. I, I remember you still have a few copies available yes actually if anybody would like to purchase it there are a few but so around that time <laughs> when did you record that like 20 2009 or something or is, I don't know yeah yeah I think that's about right something but it almost it, it felt very ambitious um, yeah. in the sense that like you could have been Jay Retard or it could have been Ty Siegel just that I don't know if the, that was like obviously you chose to release it under your name I don't know if you put any thought to this or yeah. at the time was it like were you thinking this could be a thing you know what I mean? I don't know. It it just when I listen to it, I just like it's it's just like a classic that um, I, I don't know if if you were just like I you know like you said you were just living in Brighton doing some recordings, but I don't know if you were were you thinking I don't know you go on. Time, yeah, man. Like at that time, I had zero idea that I was going to be a band. Like I 
zero expectations of what I was going to do with music. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. just like something I always liked to do, and I wasn't playing in a band at the time, and I was like, oh, I might as well just release something. Like, I've always been the kind of person that, like, if I have material, I'm just going to release it. Like, a lot of people just sit on stuff for years, years, and like, labor stuff and I just think that's not really the right move at least for me and I understand why people do that but uh, like a lot of the, the tracks on that record are all like first takes that's and awesome like, I'm not even talking like first takes like I wrote the song and then you know recorded a first take like they're literally like I didn't even write this guitar part. I'm just going to sit down and like play to a beat and like build a song off of that. So that's why there's so many like flubs and mistakes in it. I love it. Um, which yeah. I, per- I personally love hearing mistakes in people's music. Right. Like, it's some of my favorite shit. It just gives it like, it feels like you're there with the person more than being like totally polished. So no. when I was recording that, I was just like, writing the song as I was recording it, which is still how I do it today, but, you know, like, I take a little more time. Yeah, no, I, that's so... And at the time, I was all about immediacy, and just like, I just want to get this down, like, put it out, um, yeah. Um, that's all, yeah, that's awesome that you said that, I think, because around that time, I was, when I, when I heard it, I was doing some home recording stuff too and the the exact same the exact same approach that you just talked about so i think yeah that's cool to know that you are also on that kind of wavelength i think maybe that's why i like it so much having confidence even though it sucks you know like that's a cool kind of energy we get across and i think like it was kind of captured on that one like um and some of that was recorded at my dad's house too i remember um just in an extra room that we had, and like the first track off the record. I think it's the first one. Um, I don't even remember the name of it. Yeah. I should know. Uh, it's all good, but I. Damn, I'm trying to think of the name. It's, it's like the urine of elves. Oh, I love it. Um, I forget the main track name. It was around that bit. <laughs> Hold on, I'm pulling it up. I straight up wrote that first track off that record. I learned how to play like a seventh chord. And I wrote the whole thing just in like, I'm going to put sevens on this song instead of just playing five chords. The Yearn of Elves, (laughs) you and me both. You and me both, yeah, yeah. Wow. What is a seventh chord? or whatever. 
100%. That's where I got it from. Um, so when I lived in that spot in Oakstore in Brighton, there was a record store down there, which has long since been defunct. Um, and it was run by this woman who was like South American or something like that. She, she was probably in her 70s. She was old. And um, she had a record store and bookstore down in Oak Square called The Scout Room. And she was into like new age shit. And uh, it was a fucking sick spot and no one knew about it. I mean, we were just in our own world back then. But I used to go in there and buy all of her like new age books and um, I got into like Sandy Bull through her and we would talk about music on, on my weekend days off from college. You know, I'd go into this record store and talk to this old woman and uh, I just randomly bought Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time and read it. Um, and yeah, I don't know, it was sitting on my bookshelf and I was trying to figure out the name for the record and it just popped into my head and that's what I named it. Um, it was funny you said like, oh, you used your real name on that one. Right. Uh, like, I've always just like struggled with having like a fake name and like always really wanted a fake name, but I always had that urgency to just like put my music out. So I would just like concede to using my real name just out of like ease or something. But I've released at this point now it's under so many different names and um, which is probably detrimental to my music being proliferated, but I don't really care. Um, I put out an EP before the history of time that was under the name Gold Test, and it was on a uh, three-inch CD, and it was a six-song EP. Um, wow. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All good. Um, Going a little bit further with the uh, Trouble in Paradise solo album, it was uh, 2015 release. It was released 2015 through Boo Boo. I've always had a question I want to ask you with the song The Rules of Rock. Yeah. So you say in the song, um, The Rules of Rock, uh, or is it, let's say the first rule is that you got to be cool. The second, or rather, vice versa, the first rule is that there are no rules second rule is that you got to be cool I always thought that was a really interesting paradox of like saying okay yeah there's no rules like you know what I mean that's fuck it there's you know, rebellion there's no rules but then you got to be cool and I think that's um, I think that's a paradox that at least for me I, I noticed a lot in um, with art rock and roll punk rock in particular underground music I don't know if you had any are there like intentions beyond that line, or it's just like a, just kind of like a funny line, or if you have any thoughts on that, of like the distinction between being like a you know sort of rebellious artist, but also you know that there are, but then there's you know you almost have to fit the standard of cool or something. Maybe not you personally, but is that yeah, a thing sure. you feel like people have to struggle with or whatever? Yeah, I mean with that song, like. Really, what I wanted to get after is just um, the humor in like rock music and like the humor in rock and roll in general. It's like a historical thing in rock. You know what I mean? Like the, the early rock and roll bands were funny. Like you listen to those lyrics and they're supposed to be funny. Like I know that obviously the blues is sad and what have you, but 
as far as like white rock goes in the 50s, they're funny songs, you know, and sure. I think the, the humor in rock like has continued throughout the decades with all bands. And even if the band is trying to be serious, there's always this thing where it's like, oh, you're just a rock band on stage and it's kind of funny. And it's like you're playing into this cultural phenomena of rock, like whatever that means to you, you know? Um, mm. And rock, and people in rock are supposed to be like cartoon characters, you know? Like my favorite people are like out there characters. So I, I don't know. I guess with that specific line, it just seemed like the perfect thing to like tee up the song to say, like what I'm trying to talk about in that song specifically, where I'm talking about the culture of live rock and roll music, I guess, you know? Um, but the real inspiration for that song, to be totally honest with you guys, comes from uh, the song Commando by the Ramones. Yeah, fuck yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like I listened to Commando randomly one day, and you know, it's like, first rule is, yeah, 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 Germany, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it just kind of gave me the concept to be like, oh man, I should write a song about music, you know? And like, that's where it came from. And that song, the lyrics to that song, like, it was one of those instances where they just flooded into my brain. And I have this distinct memory. I was living in Cambridge at the time, and I wrote the whole song in about 15 minutes, like all of those lyrics, just the yeah. verses and stuff, and arranged it, and it came super quick. And uh, similar to uh, Brief History of Slime, where I was telling you the first song on the record was such an important one, it was the same deal with this record, where it's like I wrote the first song in the record, and then it just like dictated the entire rest of the thing for me. Oh, that's awesome. So it, that sort of that was you, you you did you have an idea that this would be a release like how how it ended up being or with, no, at, never. no not not at that time it's kind of like i go through these periods where i won't write anything mm-hmm. and then one thing will inspire me so much that i'll be like i have to write an entire album around this one idea or like just this one kind of vibe and uh, I think that's why albums come out kind of sounding different or like standing alone and different concepts kind of because I just get so hyped on one idea and then I'll just, I'll write it out, you know? Yeah, I got that. Oh, so I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah what were you gonna say? Yeah. Well, I, I can't remember what I was saying, but yeah, I don't know. On. I don't know exactly what I was gonna say, but so let's just go back to the mind-blowing experience of when we saw you. I believe uh, Chris might correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the first time, Smoky Bear Cave, when yes. yeah, do you remember that show, Jim? the first time I played live solo. Damn. 
Yeah. yeah, so you had never, you hadn't done anything like that, like, prior to, I don't know, I guess, ever? Yeah. Um, I mean, I had done some solo performances, uh, but nothing, nothing serious and nothing song-based, for sure. Um, I guess that's an interesting thing to touch on, too, is, like, before even getting in, and I'll talk, I'll talk about the live stuff, but Greek History of Slime was interesting because um, up until that time, all I was playing was noise music um, and just, like, conceptual weird shit, and I just got sick of it and uh, wanted to start writing pop music. Um, I just, like, had gotten more into, like, the traditional format of writing songs, and uh, that's why I wrote that record, but... Yeah, so the Smoky Bear Cave show, um, I just didn't know what to do. Uh, they asked me to play that, and I had that record on deck, and I didn't have a band. And, um, yeah, really, I just started performing. I guess I should explain it. People yeah. Don't know, but, <laughs> like, uh, so I didn't have a band. And I recorded the record, and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? I have these songs, but I can't reproduce them live. So I started doing those karaoke sets, and the way I wanted them to come across is being super loud. And I also wanted the freedom of just, like, not having to play guitar and being able to have the bike and, like, interact with people. So started playing the cassette through, like, a half stack of amps as loud as I could. Um... And it was never really about the fidelity of the live performance. It was more just about like an experience or like being there. And however the pop songs came across, that's how they came across. Um, it was just more about a live performance when I was doing those things, you know. Yeah, that was that was such an unforgettable image. I'll never forget. It's just that's one of the one of the things that always sticks with me. Just you just yeah, just being very in your face, loud. Yeah not really caring but the beauty of it was that those were those were all of your songs and that you were just karaokeing over them i mean i'm sure i don't know the president of that but for me that was the first time i think i'd really seen that um in that kind yeah. of fashion yeah and i think it goes back to that same thing i was talking about about that specific song like it's about playing with what a performance is supposed to be, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, breaking down the traditional structure in some way of like how pop songs are supposed to be presented. And that's yeah. all I was trying to get after. It's like, if, when you really listen to the songs, like, you know, I put a lot of work into constructing them and making them like legit pop songs and then presenting them in a way that's like, I don't really give a shit how they sound. It's, it was just about being there having a good time and it came out of necessity you know and since then now i have all these players who you know to play all of my songs to to a t uh and it's just a different thing yeah totally yeah but that, I, that was a great show yeah that, that was awesome the girl with that and the the one the boo rock stock yelled and just like sure remember being blown away by the uh yeah, I mean, definitely the whole performance, because like you said, without the guitar, I think just with the mic, uh, it seemed way more interactive. 
to show approval for what just happened and, you know, and all these different things that, you know, um, I don't know, that I, I, I kind of like the notion of that being challenged. And I do think that when, when you were doing those performances that I think that there were challenged that because I think it wasn't a typical rock and roll set. It wasn't like a noise set either. You were playing off music, so it was yeah a weird a weird thing. You know, it was a weird dynamic that I think I, I think we both really liked. Glenn and I both really liked. Yeah, I guess a couple of things on that one. Like uh, again, like you know, the costume idea like plays into so much. Like every scene has like a fucking look you know or right some, something they associate with themselves with expressing themselves through clothing or what have you so that element is inherent in playing music and nothing is worse to me than seeing like a bunch of people looking like they're wearing their street clothes on stage so, like if, if i see a bunch of dudes in like blue jeans and flannels i'm just like i'm out like, I, 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 yeah. like I, I think you really have to, like, appreciate being on stage. And although I did really try to subvert that when I was playing at that time, because I'd always show up in a collared shirt and running shoes, you know, like, with fucking, just like, I tried to dress like a nerd as much as I could. <laughs> just because I, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to show up and, like, fake anything. Like, I just wore my work, my work clothes to to the show, and maybe the sunglasses were the only the only other thing. But um, I don't know. I just always thought it was so funny, especially in punk. Like, it's like, oh, you aren't wearing spikes. Like, you aren't a fucking punk. Like, I'm a fucking punk, dude. Like, you don't know where the fuck I'm from. And, like, yeah. Dude, if I'm wearing a collared shirt, like... This is just what I wear every day. So, like, I wore what I wore every day on stage. Um, but I think the other thing I wanted to get into on that is, like, as much as I'm, like, that was, like, a joke to me. You know, there's so much humor inherent in, like, wearing that kind of costume on stage and looking like this straight motherfucker um, and just joking about it. and But, you know, acting in a way that's aggressive or what have you. Sure. I thought, yeah. I thought that... I thought that was funny, but it had such a, the live performance had such a disconnect from the music, because if you listen to the music, like, that's like my fucking life, like, uh, those songs are like real shit, uh, maybe barring the Rules of Rock song, because that's just kind of a joke, but like, all the other songs are about like, real life shit, yeah, and I've never liked sentimentality in music, like, it just turns me off, so... Uh, I just always try to bring an element of humor or like yeah. something that will make someone smile, like some wordplay or some shit that's like interesting. You know what I mean? You I'm not gonna like totally sit yeah. there and like complain or something. I, I don't know. You succeeded. No, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I felt that way. I do when listening to audio recordings that there's um, kind of a distance a little bit where like I can tell that guys thinking about something that seems to me anyway like something that is there is a sentiment there but it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to hang on any sort of um, overall like uh, emotional tone that would you know that that's crying out to you know some sort of like sadness or something it seems to, the music itself seems to speak louder a little more than the words but that, uh, that doesn't negate that there isn't something serious in the, in the yeah. lyrical content but it doesn't scream out that the way that you know say like uh, uh, for lack of a better word but uh, like I would say an emo song or some 
Um, but that's the, the, you know, the, not to say that there isn't seriousness in your music. I, I just feel like that, that that you like you like you said. I think the the sentimentality there's not as much of like a sentiment, like a emotional tone. That um, it's there's seriousness to it, but the music speaks louder. You yeah, know what I mean? It's like you're a, how I feel. you're you're yeah. a Las Vegas yeah. lounge singer. person to draw to you honestly um really it's just um the way that i deal with uh my own shit is through humor you know and um the guise of like pop conventions so like there's been so many pop songs that have been written about so many things and i experience the same things that happen in those songs and i'm you know i'm a person who digs into that kind of stuff and i'm just a lover of music so when I'm making music, I'm trying to be aware of the historical context of it, but also, you know, dealing with my own shit, uh, writing music about real life experiences, because you can never, like, have no, like, realness come through, because then it would just seem like I'm just, it would just be boring, you know? So mm-hmm. I try to write about things that I actually experience. Um, even if they come out in a comedic way, I think. That's just what life is, you know. You get to find humor in um, situations that are sad, or um, you know, I, I just find it to be more appealing to make music that makes light of situations that are like not so good. Um, yeah, because that's that's like the blues, man. That's how that's how people dealt with pain in the past is writing music, and uh, I just never been excited by anything that's really on the nose like i like things that are a little more mystery and uh, it's just more appealing you know definitely yeah I, that's, that's all. I love hearing that perspective uh just hearing that too yeah you know? um and I, I think that that makes sense too also just hearing you know the music that you that you've made uh it's pretty consistent with that um yeah i was gonna say going off of uh, the solo stuff. So how does it, like, for me, like, personally, I, I do prefer the solo performance over the whole band, although I love the band, because I do think the band brings, with, like, uh, specifically talking about, uh, like, with, like, Kremlin Bath and your solo stuff, I do feel like the band definitely beefs up, like, the songs, but I do kind of prefer, prefer like, the solo stuff. But how does that, like, how do you, in, like, the live setting, um, I guess, how would that transition from, like, solo to doing it with, the, you know, these, this music with, like, a whole band? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, honestly, like, not easy. Um, when I was seeing those solo shows, um, doing karaoke, it, it was tough. Like, uh, not a lot of people... People either love it or they hate it. It was a very polarizing thing, and I would play bars, and I'd play, you know, shops and stuff like that. Some people would fucking hate it, you know, like legit hate it, and like the solo ones. Yeah, for sure. Oh wow. You know, I'm not playing just DIY venues at that time. I was yeah. Any venue I could play. Um, like, like, uh, like what kind of places? Or just, you know, bars, bars uh, gotcha. like Charlie's, 
I had played gotcha. that music so many times, and it's always a random crowd, right? So you never know. Yeah, that's true, sure, yeah. Um, so not everyone's going to be receptive to that, especially when it's, you know, there's that element of the performance where it's interactive in a way, and I'm coming into the crowd. Like, some people, they aren't going to be like, oh, I understand this. <laughs>
you, you have to understand where you are and like what you're doing. You know what I mean? And yeah. I did all of that stuff intentionally. Like it was part of the performance. Yeah. Um, but you know, I never tried to be disrespectful to anyone, and I don't think I ever really was. It's just like yeah. you you play random shows, and um, even just me rolling around on the floor, some person may think that's like not acceptable. It might just be some guy at the bar who like rolled into the show and doesn't even know what the fuck's going on. And then, you know, people would yell at me and it's like, why don't you play some real music? Like, get a guitar. And like, I would just joke about it on the mic. I'd be like, you ever hear a fucking guitar? You know what I mean? Like that kind of shit. So, That's true. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, Oh no! I was gonna say you, you. You could say, well, you've been doing this shit since two thousand, you know, whatever. You since ninety seven. They don't know. They don't know about you and guitar. Yeah. They need to take a bit of a little bit of a brief uh, history of slime. Um, take that online course. <laughs> um, but yeah, they just say go back. Like, I, I, yeah, I definitely like. Um, I think it actually is really cool, like you say about you know having a sense of even like what you are doing as far as uh, your your performance. Uh, but yeah, go go going back to like the transition from uh, transition from solo to um, the whole the whole band. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely a different dynamic. Yeah, especially some of the stuff you're talking about. I I feel like it, you know definitely was a um, lot of the, same vibe of the same songs, but kind of like a different dynamic overall with um, the songs coming through from a whole band. Yeah. I think it really is just like um, I became friends with so many people who were such good players and like even, you know, better players than me and uh, even brought stuff to the songs. And I just got to a certain point where I was like, why not just have these amazing musicians that I'm all friends with that play with me and like, we can all have a good time. So that's really where that came out of, is just like, it could sound better. <laughs> I can still, um, you know, play guitar and have a good time playing shows. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, totally. Did you, did you ever fear, guitar, so. did you ever fear that it would that it could become a lonesome endeavor if it was just if it was just you I mean the whole thing is a lonesome endeavor I still like, <laughs> write and record all the music you know like uh, yeah. it's it's a weird dynamic to like have a band that just plays your songs um, but I'm lucky enough to have a bunch of guys that, a bunch of people because uh, there's been so many members just, that just love to do it and um, yeah I'm yeah, fortunate great. enough to have those people around me, so it's been good. Yep. What about? I'm curious. In what was the road like when you hit the road, and would you ever consider hitting the road again? Which time? Uh, I was thinking of back when you were doing the little tours with the Fat Creeps, and. Oh yeah. Was the, the road? Tour. Yeah, I mean that's that's something that I think it's it's very impressive that 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 happened that you know y'all went out of town and brought your music to different places because I feel 
especially, you know, I can speak personally and I'm sure there's so many other people and stuff that, you know, they're just sort of confined to doing, not confined, but I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It seems, it seems like a dream kind of thing, but you see so many people go on tour, but then you also see a lot of bands yeah. just play local. Yeah, I mean, going on tour, um, it's not an easy thing to do, you know, um, especially at that time. We didn't really know that many people outside of Boston. I mean, we did, but it's like, first of logistically, like, plan that out would have been a massive undertaking. Um, and tons of people do it, and tons of people have the time and resources to be able to do it. Um, but it's a huge undertaking. Uh, with that specific tour, um, we were just lucky enough to, there was a band in Philly that had heard our music and liked us, and they were going on tour, and they, they were like, do you want to be the openers for the tour? And we were like, let's do it. So we did, I don't know, it was like two weeks and a couple days um, through the south and up into Canada and then back. Um, it was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was weird, weird times in the band, I guess, but... Um, we saw it through and played some really good shows. Played a great show in Chicago. And played some shitty shows to like two or three people, you know? But yeah, it was all good. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that was uh, Bleeding Rainbow Road. Yep. Cool. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it, that, most of the venues too that you guys played, I recognized most of those in Japan. So it looked like it was a, yeah, it was like a really solid store, you know? Of course. Yeah, not every city is going to be the, you know, it's going to be like a, necessarily a stacked, like, show or sold out show or whatever it is, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I think with kind of what Glenn was saying, it's definitely like, uh, just even just getting out there is, you know, is like that onto itself is already, like, just doing it already, I think is, you know, the achievement the ambitious thing like you were saying it's like it, it is kind of an undertaking I mean just think of you said two weeks I mean that's for most people that they can't get that time off work or if they can that's that's like the most you get you know that year so it's like you kind of like and to even have the fun you know so like if you can do it you know that's awesome you know I mean that's an amazing thing yeah I mean I've just always worked um, so yeah uh, like I've never not worked since I got out. Right. Yeah. I've never had the opportunity not to. Um, yeah. I've always kind of lived a separate life where I had my work clinic too. But um, yeah, I remember at that time just I was really lucky because my creative director at the time was also a musician. He played in like metal bands in the eighties, and I had this conversation with him. And I was like, "Listen, I got this opportunity to take this tour." I'm gonna do it, and he was like, "I'm down. Like that's fine." And it's awesome time. So I was lucky enough to yeah. be able to do that. But you know, not everybody has the ability to do that shit. Like I think right. a lot of people don't realize that. Like if he didn't give me that time, I wouldn't have gone. Like I, you know, made my livelihood. So yeah, yeah, no, totally. Uh, I remember you saying that too. That it's like that. Was, I was like, damn, it's fucking awesome. Uh, I was gonna say actually I was gonna ask you about like um obviously so you're you're an um you know, you you're an artist, um, by trade or is it I wanted to like, you know, put a different 
mind a virus and say if you want to talk a little bit about what you do um, for a living. Um, sure. It'll work. Yeah. 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 I went to art school. Um, coming out of you know high school, I I was just like I want to go to art school. It's what I want to do. Um, and really, I was a painter uh, up until I got to college. And my dad is, you know, he's a working class guy, and he's like, if you go to art school, you gotta get something. You gotta go do something where you can get a job. And I was like, okay. So I transitioned from being a painter to being a graphic designer. Um, I had an interest in print media, um, and really that grew out of music. Like I loved record covers my whole life. Uh, that was one of the things that drew me to collecting, getting interested in music, was the art and the covers. Um, so yeah, I went to school. I wanted to come out of school and work for magazines, and I worked for one magazine, Performer, which was like a musician's magazine, for like a month. Um, and then the landscape really changed where everything went digital, the magazines kind of all went under. Uh, I started working at a music company. Um, designing like applications and shit like that. This is 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, man, I mean, me working professionally as a graphic designer, I I grew up working construction with my dad, and, uh, you know, he just always wanted me to do something else. He wanted me to be better than that. He didn't want me to fucking be roofing houses. His whole life. He'd always say that shit to me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just took the skills at my disposal and um, I loved art and I loved design and uh, I was able to make a career out of it and it, it didn't come easily you know I've been doing it for years and years now but um, it's just what I decided to do with my life and I'm really glad that I did because it's fulfilling you know like not everyone gets to go to their job every day and like do something they love, but I, I really genuinely enjoy um, making art and making creative things and helping other people realize creative execution. So that's what I do, and I, you know, I'm never gonna think badly about it. As much as it stresses me out, I'm not fucking doing it every day my fucking life.
use your skills well on Instagram too. You're probably you know your Instagram, everyone. It's it's such a lovable account. Yeah. Good good work there, Jim. Yeah, no, dude, people do love your Instagram. I don't even. I'm not even on Instagram. I hear of your praise for your Instagram work. Yeah, exactly. You don't even need to. It's it's just sort of your your personality, and yeah. you can definitely. Yeah, go on. No, no. I was gonna say, you go on first. No, I was gonna say it, it's like everything that you were saying throughout this entire interview. Your approach to to different things, it sort of comes through on on all the stuff that you post. So I think yeah. that's why it's. It's pro- it's effortless for you. But for others people they might look at it and who knows, I don't know what people think, but I, I know is, Yeah. As crazy as it um it really all ties back to the stuff that we started talking about about um just being involved in like a punk community and a DIY community as a kid. Like that shit changed my life. Like, legit. And I, I don't mean to get like sentimental about it, but like uh, sure. It totally changed my mindset, and as far as my professional work goes, too, um, it's set me up in a position that gives me a unique perspective that, like, a lot of people don't have, and I interact with professional people, you know what I mean, and I still come at it with the same mentality that I have, like, working in a DIY community, and, um, for a lot of people, it's really refreshing to see that kind of perspective and just, you know, holding yourself to some some level of morality or some level of, like, understanding of communication is invaluable. And, I don't know, it's just, I've just been lucky enough to have those experiences as a young person who just, like, formed who I am. And, I don't know, I just try to hold myself to certain, you know, rules or personal codes that have uh, given me an upper hand, I guess, and like giving up people other perspectives. So it's been good. Yeah, no, I think definitely, you know, one of the biggest takeaways of being involved in the music community is you do, you do start to establish a uh, personal, you know, set of ethics that doesn't Way, you know, in your, your, you know, your life, your work life, whatever it is, that, um, I don't, yeah, definitely, I think for all of us, we, we do have that sort of, like, you have, like, you know, a sense of, you know, the DIY punk ethic, the different, whatever, you know, but just also just morals that you, that you were, you have to realize not everyone has that, and, and it's not even this, like, cause they think that they're, that they're trying to do something wrong or anything, they just don't get it, it's like, it's like a sense of fairness. Ideally, you know what I mean? And when it's not there, at least I feel, and I feel a lot of people, when you see something that's wrong, you're like, yeah, fuck that. You know, you want to smash that. Um, but there's a sense of ethics that, it's just, you know what I mean? Like, perspective, you know? Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, it's like the mainstream's fucked up, so we want to separate from that, you know what I mean? And create our own world from that. Um, when I was younger, too, I was you know, resistant to getting a job and shit like that, but then I I got to this point where I was like, why not just try to, like, do things from the inside, and, like, yeah. 
thing like it made so much more sense to me than like complaining about it from the outside. I was like, why not get inside and try to push ideas that I have um, that I think are good. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's quite good. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. So then, <laughs> well, you know. What when did so we talk we were talking about all sorts of shit mainly you know I think we mentioned Trouble in Paradise which was your 2015 album and then yeah. you released other uh, some other really awesome worst dicks worst discs but that was that wasn't until <laughs> later but I think probably I don't know my time frames are all messed up but we also know that you've gone under the name Renee Chambers. And, uh, yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, actually, time flies so quickly. It, it feels fairly recently, but I don't know when, when the hell that was. Um, that was a couple of years ago, right? Maybe 2018 or something. Because I remember the uh, Ray Malama Ding Dong, you put Renee Chambers on the um, poster. And I, it's funny, when I first saw that, I thought I was like, I'm like, oh, this must be like a joke. Like, that's some, like, pop singer. I don't know. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't follow, you know, pop music, but it's some pop singer or whatever. I guess, like, because it's like, you know, it could be like someone that's playing Boston Collins or whatever. Because yeah. I'd never seen you perform under the name. And I remember, so then I'm like, oh, wait. I, I remember Googling it and I couldn't find them. Oh, maybe Renee, uh, he, uh, is it, did someone change their name or do you think someone, Renee Chambers, is playing? And, I couldn't find it, and then I kind of like saw you post under there or something. I can't honestly remember how I figured out that that, that was just you, but I remember being like, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I wanted to record that whole album and release it under an alias, and um, you know, it's just something I want to do for a long time, and it just felt like a good time to like take a break from my real name. Um, the name itself kind of came out of. Um, I just created this list of, um, like, old soul singers and stuff like that. Like, I would just go through soul 45s and pull out their names, and then i put them into columns where it was, like, the first name and the last name, and then I would pair them up randomly until one sounded good, and, you know, there were multiple, multiple variations, and I would throw in different words, and actually, originally, it was going to be Jackie Kremlin, um, <laughs> And that's where Kremlin Bounce came from. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, and then I created like a false narrative around where the name came from, where I said it was Renee Rancourt from the Bruins and her chambers and a Boston auto dealer. I love that. To make it like the most Boston thing ever. But that was all fake. Like, it was really just, a, you know, I wanted to build a story around it. Um, and the Kremlin Bats thing, um, the word Kremlin just stuck out to me from that Rocky Erickson song, uh, Two-Headed Dog. And that just kind of got into my notebooks, and eventually I paired the, the word Bats with it. And it just seemed like the perfect thing to continue kind of like this, I don't know, kind of like mysterious character. That, and that's why I just like threw it on that poster, because like, I was like, no one's going to know what this is, and... It's just a perfect opportunity for me to like put that name out there and start running with it. So, 
Yeah, no, that well, that it fits very well with the the music being of a mysterious yeah. nature. Yeah, that whole record was just supposed to be dark. You know? Yeah, um, just like kind of brooding. So I tried to play off that. Yep, you sure did, Mister Jim. Thank so, what what are you <laughs> what are you up to? So yeah, what. I guess that well, obviously, you played some, you've played some very awesome shows over the past uh, few years and you know decades and all that. Um, but where are you now, and what do you? How do you see things? When, one of the questions that we always I know I don't want to ask too many questions yeah, all at I once, say, but I think I know where you're going. But uh, we asked Matt this last week. Uh, when do you think the first like live show, like since the people going out, when do you think the first show will be? Well, I mean, I think as far as like legitimate venues go, it won't be till twenty twenty one for sure. Um, yeah. As far as DIY venues go, I think it can happen now. Um, especially, I don't know. It's fucking crazy times right now, and sure, I think I think people need a break. Um, I wouldn't advise that, you know, I'm not a fucking scientist or whatever, but yeah. uh, those are going to start up way sooner than any legitimate venues, so yeah. um, I mean, we're going to get into the middle of the summer and shit will start popping up, but um, people just got to be safe, you know, uh, will, you know, we'll see how it goes, but it's just been a crazy break for me personally to just like take a step back and, and maybe at home and you know, just like everybody else, you know. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, yeah. Sorry, this, this summer, you know, there's gonna be shows. So like, people are gonna do it regardless. Yeah. Is it advisable or not? Because that is. So. Yeah. yeah, totally. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I personally wouldn't advise any like. Yeah, you know, it's kind of it's kind of funny. It's like I've always been all for like. Uh, irresponsible like uh, rather just like dangerous kind of things but it, it's more like to me it, it's like if I'm just hurting myself I don't mind as much but I think like with this whole like pandemic that like if something's spreading is always my is my concern I'm saying the hurting other people it's and, a like, precedented situation I mean. yeah exactly no exactly you're 100% right where it's like we don't we've never really experienced this in our lifetimes, something like this, and uh, at least in America, where it's like uh, everyone, you know, you know, this kind of contagious virus that doesn't have a vaccine. Um, but I'm overall hopeful, though, um, because I think that people care enough that, you know, I mean, I think people, especially going to shows, that they care enough that you can, you know, no matter what, you're going to be able, you can't stop people from doing shit like you said like you 
underground space, you know. So that's 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 my hope. That uh, you know, and that there's maybe more of a government bailout of venues. Hopefully, I don't know, but I'm not. I wouldn't rely on that. But like, you know, man, at the end of the day, it's it's not going anywhere. um, It's what? It's not going anywhere. So yeah, obviously we we can't do any of that stuff now. But it doesn't mean that all this shit's gonna stop. Uh, right. I would, I would never do that. I would never go play a show right now. Just, yeah. of, you know, general common sense, which mm-hmm. sure. people, people need to have right now. Just understanding we're in a situation that we've never experienced before. No one ever thought this shit was gonna happen. But, um, right. you know, it's not gonna stop kids from playing music. Um, music's gonna continue I think obviously a lot of people are probably writing and recording now and uh, we'll probably come out of it and once we're able to do this shit again there's gonna be a whole new crop of people out there that that never played music before are ready to go you know there's gonna be a big explosion of like just music in general absolutely how how good is that gonna feel like when whatever show it is, whatever, or just people just be able to go see live music and hang out and see, like, that's going to be amazing. For sure. And like you said, yeah, I never really thought of that, even though that's such, like, an obvious thing, that there will be so many people. And I, I hope that a lot of them are making some weird shit. social network for the underground? I mean, there has been that stuff in the past. Um, <laughs> and there, there like still is, I guess. Like a tech, like a technological, it could be an app, it could yeah. be, it could be something that unites people, you know, like in a widespread way across the country, yeah. across the globe that people, that will connect them to you know, more underground DIY kind of things. I don't know if that, I know there's like what different websites, but I don't know if there's ever been like a Facebook kind of level um, thing. I I just don't know if you thought about that or. Yeah, I think by 
general answer to that is no. But the no only comes because those things exist now, but because they exist, they're so flooded with everything that it's difficult to wade through. And there's just so much out there now that, you know, connecting those communities is really difficult. Um, when I was in high school, like, there was a Boston thing, it was like a blog, blog spot or something called Lemming Trail, and that's how you found out about Boston shows. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, and like, shit like that still exists on a, you know, local level. But as far as globally goes, that stuff already exists. You know, there's SoundCloud or fucking Bandcamp or whatever, but it, it's just the fact that every kid today plays music is, it, that's what makes it so difficult. <laughs> yeah. It didn't, it didn't used to be like that, that every kid was making music in his bedroom. It wasn't as accessible. Um, right. And, it, and again, it's like one of those catch-22s where it's like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say because I think, on one hand, yeah, it's like it's definitely accessibility is not necessarily a bad thing in in the, in the sense that you you know you're gonna reach you know for whoever knows that kid could be the next you know Rocky Erickson or whatever you know whatever. Um, but at the same time, you know, in some hand, in some ways, it's like that that the person that might go the extra mile or whatever might dig into something, you know, that adversity, like, to, like, get to that point is also there, you know what I mean? Like, you know, getting through things that are inaccessible to get to the point of, like, finding out there was other shit out there or whatever, you know, digging through stuff. It's, like, in a way that I feel like a lot of resources are, you know, like, a record store that, you know, there aren't as many record stores or video stores or whatever that centralized uh, places to find uh, cool shit, you know, that there, there aren't as many of those, you know, you just have the vast sea of the internet, and but that could be a ton of different shit, you know, that out there that, you know, and, and even people putting out their music, you know, it's almost like it was promoted as being like, you could, you know, you could put up a song and that could have, that could reach as many people as Metallica. It's like, well, no, I mean, not really, though. In, in theory, yes, but not really. Instead, there's just tons of people putting out stuff. You know what I mean? Um, and also... It's good, it's good and bad, you know? It's good and bad. We're living, and I don't know if... Jim, coming from the art business side of things, do you, do you feel like we're almost in a post-tastemaker culture? Where, at one time, you had something... A post-taste... Okay, do you feel like we're in a post-tastemaker culture where something like Pitchfork or even on a local level, more, you know, smaller publications and things like that, they don't really have as much weight as they used to? With... just we're living in a completely different music system these days you know I mean I completely agree with that I think it comes back to the word of mouth thing you guys are talking about though 
at least on a local context. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. I think the bigger things are just powered by money, obviously, and that's how it's always been. But uh, as far as a DIY context, it's word of mouth. Yeah, that's it. All comes down to that. Wait. What do you guys think? Oh, actually, shit. Chris was never there. Hold on. Chris. Yeah. Uh, did you did you just hear that conversation or no? What conversation? Okay. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't really say anything important. Wait, which conversation? Jim. too funny um <laughs> uh all right well yeah chris do you what is there anything else you have well on my uh my idiot sheet over here i had a <clears throat> future which is kind of funny <laughs> but uh that's <laughs> yeah just future we i think we covered that covid when will sh- the next show be um, so we got into that. Oh, what's it like? Do you have any last minute plugs? Last like anything you <clears throat> last minute plugs? Um, something you got coming up or whatever. What do you want to say? Yeah, it's so tough because we're just like on freeze right now. But sure. um, yeah. yeah, just go out and listen to music. Uh, do stuff with your friends. I think that's my only plug is just like have a good time and just listen to music, man. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, it's it's hard. Yeah. If it's something that you do it, you enjoy, do it. Something you like making, make it. You know, that's all you can do. Yeah. yeah do you want to give a shout out to Winter Hill? Yeah, shout out to Winter Hill. What's up, boys? We flying on the hill. Birds at night. Wait, real, 
real quick lightning round. Okay. Well, not really lightning round, but you know, um, Jim. Because I'm gonna try to end this right at two uh, two hours, and we have one hour and, and forty seconds to go. All right. So real quick, what is uh, what was your or what has been your favorite above ground venue and underground venue in Boston? If you can off the top of your head. Off the top of my head, um, lightning round. You gotta go. That's such a such a heavy one. I know. I I should have brought it up about. Did you like the precinct? Yeah. No, like what? The precinct? Precinct was okay. I mean, we, we kind of came off playing shows there, but kind of a joke inside. Interesting. <laughs> All right, Chris, you go. Any any last? Right. You, have, you have 40 seconds. Okay, Ask him one, one final. Uh, I don't know if, if you know, but I recently we recently moved to in between Inman and Union. No way. Yeah. So. Jim. Also, Glenn just got Glenn got married. Uh, it was like a week before all this shit went down. Oh, congratulations! Dude. I delivered a fantastic you, um, best marriage speech, man, as as uh, a lot of people pointed out. I was I was proud of myself. Nice. That's always fun. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. you, you did very well. Also, you gave me some, right? I think you told me, right? You were like, you were like hey, like, this is what I did, right? At some show. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Beals or Stones? Oh, man. Uh, stones. Same. I love 
I would have said Beatles up until like five years ago, probably. But yeah, Stones for me as well. Love and love. Uh, songwriting. Yeah, exactly. The Beatles, but, like other things make me like the Stones more. Same. Yeah, I think I love both. Uh, I just feel that both. Ah, it's like uh, over time, I haven't. I've appreciated more. Ah, like uh, the Beatles, the, the the voices don't stand out as me as stand out to me as much as they used to. This, I mean, they're great, but they that just have more here on the stuff from that era. I don't know. Are Stevie Moore or Lou Miami? Stevie, I mean, just just based on output. Uh, <laughs> he has quite a bit. Lou Miami's only got like, you know, a couple, what, an LP and a couple EPs. He made him count. Some great, some great songs. Some great songs. For sure. I mean, I, I, but I'm not familiar enough with our Stephen Moore stuff. I want to steal a little bit of his stuff, so I can't really compare it. Dig in. I know, I know. It's one of those things. I've listened to a little bit. I do like our Stephen Moore. I just haven't listened enough. Uh, this stuff. I've covered them both. Oh, I know. I know, Jim. I know. Oh, we know. Dude, I remember one time I was paranoid on the beach, and then we were, like, singing, like, uh, Gwen and I and, and Papa Georgia were singing, uh, the, the We Miami song, uh, fucking death. The one that you covered, <laughs> like, the, um, Dancing um, Dancing with Death, yeah. And, uh, I remember one time I was really paranoid, uh, taking some medibles, and I was, well, I'm paranoid because I'm already paranoid. I don't like the water, like silver, but I, like, you know, and the waves were just kind of getting high on me. And, uh, and then we started talking about New Miami, and I was, like, trying to keep the conversation going to, like, not freak out. And I just remember that. When, where was this? Uh, Gloucester. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I was like, and then, and then I remember, like, you guys switched the spot you were at, and I was, like, I was freaking out. I'm like, no, wait, they were definitely over here, like, you know. And uh, and then you're like, oh, yeah, hey, Chris, we're over here. And I don't know, <laughs> like, I thought I had, like, lost everything. I don't know. Yeah, I'm here. All right, cool. All right, yeah, we should probably get into, like, a final, like, a final word so we can let's get straight. And get a. I've had quite a few beverages at this point, but uh. You got uh, work tomorrow. Yeah, so. What's up? Everyone's got work tomorrow, right? Yeah, I do. Have, actually, I'm, yeah, I got, I got work tomorrow. Jim, you got work? Oh, yeah. Alright, yeah, well. Yeah. It's been a sincere pleasure from the bottom of our hearts to talk to one of our heroes, rock and roll heroes, Mr. Jim Leonard. Just all around good, good guy, but some some really amazing stuff on online. Definitely check check out all of his work with all of the bands, and on your Instagram, which is Doctor Tooth. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you guys and, for having me, man. Yeah, ain't that the truth, Ruth? Doctor Tooth with the bad boy Leonard. You once called me the uh, youngest, dirty old man in rock and roll, and I'll never forget it. Yeah, dude, I still believe it. It's true. But, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you gotta stay young forever. But, uh, anyway, man, thank you. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Very humbled. Uh, we 
your music and everything, all the art, your perspective, because a lot of the shit I didn't know, you know, I didn't know much about your, uh, how you came up into music and shit and how you got into, um, the local music scene and all that shit, so this was a, a real re- revelation, so I'm fucking, you know, it was a blast talking to you the last couple of hours and shit. Yeah, thank you for having me. I never really get to talk about it either, so it's, uh, it's cool. Um, and yeah, just, uh, stay safe, dudes, and yeah, dudes. hang out soon. Yeah, hopefully Hell see, yeah, man. Dude, see you very soon. Fucking, can't wait to hang, man, and likewise, uh, stay safe. Work. All right. Yep, be cool. Be in touch. See you, Jim.